I'm delighted to welcome among us Melinda Harnish-Clatterbuck this morning. As you have seen, she is currently the associate pastor, one of the associate pastors at Community Mennonite. And also she's been involved in church ministry for many years in different um, parts of the Christian tradition. She's taught preschool through college, and she's a spiritual director. And as many of you, I think, know, she's been involved in the leadership of Lancaster Against Pipelines. So it's really a pleasure to have you among us this morning, and welcome. Why don't we pray together? Our Creator, we're grateful for your presence within us and among us. We do ask for your anointing on Melinda this morning, that by your Holy Spirit we would be awake to your movement through her, awake to your spirits leading in us and among us as your gathered people. So send your fire, send your light. And let us be more truly your people, grounded in your love and going out to sow that love in every place. We ask this through Christ. Amen. and unrelenting in acting in love and justice at every turn 
is the Jesus I have chosen to learn from and to live for. I was arrested on October 16th. My 16-year-old son was arrested that day too, as well as 21 other people. I do have a chance. I'll stay here. Can you hear me now? Yes. I can stand still. I can try. So I was arrested October 16th. My 16-year-old son was arrested that day too, um, as well as 21 other people. And as of yesterday, nine more have been arrested. So it was the first time that I was ever arrested on the 16th. It was not my goal to be arrested, but I knew that it was the very likely outcome of my actions, and I did not make that decision easily. This morning, I'll be weaving my story with three guidelines from Scripture that we read today that inform my decisions. First, I believe that we are called to witness, that is, to be aware, to see, to look, Second, we are called to be prepared. We can study the life and teachings of Jesus and learn and practice how to get on in the world. In all things, we have to educate ourselves, know our limits, and practice the skills that we've been given. And finally, we are called to act. The Mennonite Church USA conference this year had the theme, Love is a Verb. Faith requires actions on our part in living out what we believe. We can get at these three points by asking ourselves a few questions. On witnessing, what is Jesus bringing to my attention? Am I seeing and hearing? On preparation, what has Jesus taught me? Am I learning? And with action, what is Jesus calling me to do? Am I moving in faith? Let us pray. Holy God, creator goddess, we come to you this morning with open hands to receive what you might speak to our hearts. Teach us to listen. Help us to receive and help us to see clearly what Jesus taught us and what God calls us to be and to do. May truth and love and hope fill us so that we are full of the agency we possess to work for justice in an unjust world a world where the kingdom of God is at hand here and now and in each of us. May you work through us to increase the love among us, not a false peace, but a true peace of acceptance, tolerance, and compassionate action. In Jesus' name, amen. So you all know, I'm Melinda harnish Clutterbuck. I'm an associate pastor at Community Mennonite Church. I'm also a wife, a mother of two teenagers, Um, It happens to be Youth Sunday at our church, so they are there involved in the service today, and I am very sorry that they are not here for you to meet them. My husband and children are an incredible power of strength and love that makes me who I am today. I'm one of the co-founders also of Lancaster Against Pipelines, and I serve on the executive board of the Pennsylvania Community Rights Network. What I share with you today is a culmination of all of these roles I fill as family member, pastor, community organizer, neighbor, follower of Jesus, human being. We all wear many hats, right? We all do. We have responsibilities that take up our time, 
Some of us have children at home. We have aging parents. We have demanding jobs. Each of us has justifications for why we do what we do and why we spend our time the way we spend it. Values that we hold inform these decisions. And yet it is necessary for us to stop and reflect and look in the mirror and see where we are and if we are in line with what God is asking of us in this life at this moment. So I'm inviting all of us to spend a little time reflecting this morning on these questions. I'm going to begin with a poem by Denise Levertoff called Witness. Sometimes the mountain is hidden from me in veils of cloud. Sometimes I am hidden from the mountain in veils of inattention, apathy, fatigue. When I forget or refuse to go down to the shore or a few yards up the road on a clear day to reconfirm that witnessing presence. We're called to witness. There's much we don't see because we refuse to look, right? We may be tired. We have to take our kids to soccer practice or make dinner or fold laundry or get gas. But for whatever good reason, we don't look. But you see, the mountain is present, whether we look at it or not. It still exists. As witnesses, we are called to open our eyes and to be aware, to see what comes our way right in front of us. When I remember to step outside of my inattention and apathy and fatigue, to walk down the shoreline and look up in order to see the presence of that mountain, the mountain isn't changed. But I am. We're called to be witnesses. Jesus also says we need to be prepared. Our reading from Matthew has a slew of challenging issues that we're not going to be able to touch on today. I'm sure you're very disappointed. Um, In another sermon, I'd love to explore the parts of the parable where some women are foolish and some women are wise, even those labels. Yeah, there's more there. Um, The debate over whether they were all brides or attendants of the bride, what was the custom of the time that this story is referring to, or even the eschatological implications of what this is supposed to tell us about the kingdom of God. That's all fun stuff to explore. But um, this morning, I'm not going to do those issues justice. What I want us to take away from us for now is the passage today teaches us that we are called to be prepared at all times, to look ahead and see what we will need and to have it ready. In order to heal the blind, Jesus had to look. He had to see the blind man standing in front of him. He had to know that he held the power within himself to touch and be healed. Jesus had to go off into the mountains in the early morning to pray alone so he would have the strength to address and heal whole towns of people who came out to him. In our story, all of the ten virgins knew the groom might be late, especially as they got drowsy so far into the night. But only five of the ten thought ahead and prepared by purchasing the extra oil that they might need once the groom arrived. So what does preparation look like for us? I think it is different for each of us in some ways, depending on our personalities and what we are called to do. But in other ways, it's the same. Reading the sacred text, familiarizing ourselves with the teaching and life of Jesus, practicing kindness and compassion and generosity every day in every situation, and crying out to God with the honesty in our hearts of our fears and our hopes and our joys. And finally, that moving in faith, peace, our actions, we are called to act. 
Jesus consistently and constantly moves in response to what he sees. As he witnesses a woman ready to be stoned to death, he intercedes. He has done the scholarly work of knowing the Hebrew text. He sees the evil in the hearts of those who are working up a frenzy of a social animal to be violent and kill, and Jesus acts, challenging the persecutors with words of their own sacred story, saying, He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Jesus' witness, preparation, and actions and courage and faith saved a woman's life. We see this pattern over and over in the gospel stories, and we see it in the stories around us, the stories we live out each day. We witness, we prepare, we move. So, this fracked gas pipeline was my mountain. Or maybe it was fracking. Or even the damage that we as human beings do to the earth. Maybe that was my mountain that I wasn't seeing, but I see now. I hadn't really walked down the shoreline and lifted my head up from my apathy and fatigue to look at it. However, on March, the end of March in 2014, a surveyor knocked on my door asking for permission to be on my property because he wanted to survey our land because a natural gas pipeline was coming through. And at that point, I became witness to an injustice in our world, a mountain that I could not overlook and I could not walk away from. Members of Lancaster Against Pipeline have been working for over three and a half years to try to stop the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline project proposed by Williams Partners, a corporation based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is a transmission line, and you can um, advance, uh, Samantha. Um, It's a transmission line cutting through central Pennsylvania, Seven counties, nearly 200 miles long, 42 inches in diameter, with a pressure of 2,000 PSI. This new line is a shortcut. It's the red dotted line you see up there between already existing lines owned by the industry. All the blue lines are right-of-ways they already own and pipelines that are active. It is slated for export from Maryland and Louisiana with contracts tied up for the next 20 years in China and Japan and India. We oppose it for many reasons. The first is that it's unnecessary. It's a shortcut through already existing right-of-ways. It accelerates the proliferation of fracking. You can advance. Fracking, we've learned, is uh, a technique of extracting natural gas out of the ground that is devastating Pennsylvania. Two to five million gallons of fresh water are used with each fracking well, and it's consumptively used. That means that it does not go back into the watershed. There are presently 8,000 wells in the state and the industry is proposing to have 100,000. With two to five million gallons of of fresh water consumptively used in that time, it really scares me of how this is going to affect our watershed in Pennsylvania. Besides that, the contaminated water, once it's collected after the fracking process, is either injected back into the earth while it's polluted and is causing earthquakes around the country, or is put in containment ponds where it sits and inevitably seeps into the earth and affects our drinking water in a different way. This pipeline, um, this is a picture in uh, Lancaster County, south of where I live in Holtwood. Uh, The pipeline that's going through is going to cross 388 water bodies, 250 wetlands. It will permanently fragment 44 interior forests. It will directly impact 3,700 acres of land going through preserved farms because those are cheaper. It's easier for them to access and pay for land going through preserved farms. 
Going through Native American Indian sites, burial grounds in Conestoga, they have the legal right to do that. They could not go through cemeteries of white people, but they can go through registered burial grounds of Native American Indians, and they are. They've uh, targeted some of our Amish neighbors. I spoke to Amish neighbors who said to me, they know what they're doing. They explained to me, if this goes to eminent domain and I don't sign on with them, they'll take my land against my will and I'll get no money for it. I said to my Amish neighbors, that's not true. They must pay you even through eminent domain. But the land surveyors outright lied to my neighbors. And my neighbor said, they're the professionals. They know what they're doing. I had to believe what they said, not you. What are you, a teacher, a pastor? What do you know about pipelines? So there's a... Um, what do we call it, an egregious way in which our, the industry surveyors come out and speak to our neighbors than bullying, intimidating, and telling untruths that I think we can't ignore. Um, besides that, we realize that there are many ways the system is designed to legalize harm to communities and environment. Um, corporations have more power than people. Williams Partners, who is proposing this pipeline, is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they have more of a right to come into my property and exploit and destroy my land than I have a legal right to stop them. I didn't believe that this was the world that we live in when I started this work three years ago. I thought, oh, well, we'll just say, no, we don't want this in our backyard. It's going to destroy what's most important to us in Lancaster County. And through the past three and a half years, I realized that we don't have legal power to stop it. So corporations have more rights than we do. If we tried to pass a local law, we went to our local elected officials, can we pass a law just banning pipelines? No, because the industry now, since Citizens United, has the right of personhood and will sue our township for loss of profits and for discriminating against them, and they will win the right to come in and put the pipeline in anyway. So local elected officials have no power. They said that they were preempted by state officials because state has more power than local. Our state elected officials said they were preempted by federal. So we went to our federal officials who said, this is a regulatory issue, go to the regulatory agency. So we went to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that permits pipelines. We went through the whole process and we discovered that FERC has never denied a pipeline. They're required to do an environmental impact study, but in the 40-some years that FERC has been functioning, they have never found enough of a negative impact to the environment to say no to a pipeline. They say it does not significantly enough impact the environment. All the industry has to do is pay to mitigate the damage they're doing. So every turn, we bumped into a wall and said, this is an injustice. Besides that... The natural gas passing through this pipeline is being exported, and they have condemned people's land and taken it against their will for eminent domain. So the industry is using people's property for their own private gain, which is a violation of eminent domain, but the industry has the status of utility, and that automatically gives them the right of eminent domain. They have no need to prove that this natural gas is going to Americans. So all of this is a big picture of what I've been working on for the past three and a half years. And I wanted you to have a sense of why our movement got to the point where we said, what's left? What can we do to protect ourselves, our community, our land, what matters most to us, our rights to do what we want to on our properties? 
And the only thing that we could discover was nonviolent direct action, nonviolent civil disobedience. In the history of our country, when there are laws that are unjust, the only thing that has been effective in changing those unjust laws has been people standing nonviolently against those injustices. So that's where we are as a movement and what we've been doing. So um, I was arrested (laughs) with 23 other people on October 16th. And it was a little scary. I've never been arrested before. They tried to make the process really difficult for us. That was part of their desire, to scare us so we don't do it again. Um, But I didn't feel discouraged. I felt more compelled that more of us need to stand up for what is wrong and look at the mountain and prepare ourselves to do the right thing and then act on that. Those of us who have been practicing to prepare for the nonviolent direct action have actually been going through trainings. We have had over 700 people come to weekend trainings with us to learn what we mean by nonviolence, how to work within yourself to be calm, to be peaceful, to not yell, to not respond to the workers or to the police officers, but to maintain a peacefulness about who we are and what we do and how we present ourselves. We have um, some core values, and I didn't even tell you to go through the pictures. I completely forgot. I usually do it myself. So there are water body crossings and wetland crossings. Go ahead. And there's the cutting through forests. And go ahead. And this is a preserved farm that the pipeline's going through. Continue. Um, Oh, yeah, Amish farm. Continue. This is the Native American site in Conestoga that it's going through. Um, We'll catch up on pictures. Oh, I forgot to mention, we built a... Did anyone hear about the quilt that we did? So we solicited squares from people in the community who stood with us against the pipeline because we thought, what's more Lancastrian than making a quilt? Making a quilt. So we asked for people to submit quilt squares in opposition to the pipeline, and we had um, quilters sew them together, and we have a 50-foot panel, 10 panels of quilts that we use as background and in our marches and in our protests that are, is our visible um, resistance to this pipeline from Lancaster County. And a different person made each of those squares, which is really beautiful. And the 50 foot is the same length of the permanent right-of-way of this pipeline. So it extends the, um, yeah, pipeline distance. Go ahead. Um, this was a dedication we did at a stand where we, well, this is the location where they're drilling underneath the Conestoga River. And, and this is another story. So we, uh, were working with landowners who let us use their space to build this stand and we were going to occupy that space when they came in to start the drilling. And the landowners about six weeks ago who had bought the property 10 years ago for $200,000, sold the whole farm to Williams to two, for $2.8 million. Bought it for $200,000, sold it for $2.8 million. And the industry bought it and paid that much just to get our resistance off of the property. So we cut the stand down and we took it away and we said, okay, so we can't congregate here. We'll congregate on other properties, and that's what we've been doing. But it was a lot of money they spent. I should tell you that I did write a letter to the landowners and said, Thanks for letting us use your space for the past couple of months. It's been really powerful for us in our trainings. Um, you made a lot more money on this property because we were here. We're still going to have legal fees. Wouldn't it be great if you donated $100,000 to our legal fund? Just a thought. Consider it, please. Thank you. I haven't heard from them yet, though. Go on. <laughs> you can go on to the next. 
Uh, and we burned, this was the environmental impact statement that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission put out that said there's less than significant impact to the environment. A thousand pages, we read all of it. We put 6,000 comments into FERC about why we're against this pipeline. 97% of the comments they received were against the pipeline. And they still said, we're approving it. We burned it. We just had a fire burning. It was very cathartic. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, that's another picture of the burning. And then um, we signed pledges. We had a 1,000 people who signed pledges to stand with us against the pipeline, to stand with us doing nonviolent direct action. A 1,000 people signed the pledge, and over 700 have gone through the training with us. And that's the pledge. Um, and it's too small for you to read, and I don't have it in front of me. But some of the things it says... example of the type of actions we do, I'm almost finished, I know it's getting long, to give you an example of the type of actions we do and what we're up against, I have a story for you. We build an outdoor chapel on the property of the Sisters of the Adorers of the Blood of Christ who live in West Hempfield Township. They have a very strong land ethic as a part of their mission statement that emphasizes our need to move to renewables and our need to live more sustainably on this earth. They sued Williams and FERC for violating their religious rights through the Religious Rights Act of 1993, and they have a strong case. The sister's lawyer asked for an injunction. That means they asked for the industry to not be able to put the pipeline in the ground on their property until they had their day in court. Because if this is seen as violating their rights, the pipeline will have to be moved off their property. The judge declined, said they can still put the pipeline in. When the industry received all of its permits to start construction, this is a 200-mile pipeline through Pennsylvania, they went smack dab in the middle of Lancaster County on the sister's property the, de the next day to start their construction, and the only place in Pennsylvania where pipeline is fully in the ground is on the sister's property. That's the arrogance and audacity of the industry that we're fighting. And here's an example of the actions that we do. Imagine with me, if you will, a scene. There's a 100-foot-wide construction zone for a 42-inch fracked gas pipeline in the middle of a Lancaster County cornfield. There are pipeline workers present, and there are police, and there are 65 community members holding up signs and standing together in the middle of the construction zone amidst the equipment, digging into the earth and singing. The workers will not give permission for a prayer service. The police cannot give permission, but promise to give a warning before arrests, allowing 10 minutes before any arrests would take place. So 65 people, 
enter the active construction zone in the middle of the afternoon stopping work. There are teenagers among the group. There are children on their parents' shoulders. And the teenagers offer to share homemade bread they have in baskets with the workers as a sign of our unity as human beings, despite our different takes on the construction of this pipeline. The workers turn their backs as the kids approach them with baskets of food. The people gather in a circle and offer prayers. They're Mennonites and Catholics, agnostics, Unitarians, United Church of Christ members, United Methodists, atheists, and Jews all come together in the construction zone. The pipeline workers and police stand outside the circle, but there is prayer. They pray together a prayer of honor to the earth, a thank you for the life that it gives us, and they pray for forgiveness for the destruction we humans do to the earth for our own greed and out of ignorance. And they pray for the future of healing, not only for the earth itself, but for our relationship to the earth, for which, on whom, we depend for life. Fifteen minutes later, the police walk in with their handcuffs, and they say it's time to go or there are going to be arrests. All of the people walk off the construction zone, and there are no arrests that day. And the workers continue their construction of the pipeline. But something happened. For even just a moment, something changed in the world. And it is these moments I think we must witness. And it is these moments that we are called to prepare for and be a part of. And it is these moments we might even be called to create.